Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Really, really happy to have with us today Master Maggie Messina. She runs Tai Cole Taekwondo in Albertson, New York, and she has an incredible history in the martial arts as a competitor, as a teacher, as a school owner. So really happy to have you. Thank you, Master Messina. Happy to be here. Thank you for the invite. So can we start with how you got your start in the martial arts? Was there some something you saw that inspired you to to try it out? Yeah, you know, the first thing the first thing that inspired me is my my sister-in-law, Awilda. She was a black belt. She was my uh, older brother's wife. And she did Shotokan back then, back in the 80s. And back then, women in the martial arts was almost a very, very few. And she was very good. And, uh, you know, we used to, you know, I graduated high school. And after high school, there's really nothing, you know, I was very athletic and used to the sports and everything. And being near the city, you know, it was hard to, uh, you know, find those teams. So I admired what she was doing. And she said, you know, you're really good. You should, you know, sign up at a school. So, you know, I pondered with it for about a couple of weeks and then I was like, okay. So I started taking, initially I started taking lessons from Grandmaster Sir Henry Cho in, in Manhattan. And I had taken private lessons from one of his students. I fell in love, you know, I really liked it. And then it came a time where, you know, I had to find a school. So uh, I lived in Brooklyn and I came across, uh, I kept coming across the same name and it was uh, the Kang system in Brooklyn on Avenue U. And, uh, you know, I remember going there, walking in, very few women um, and just a lot of guys standing around. It was very, actually very intimidating. And uh, so, you know, I talked to the instructor and he says, ah, just sign up. You've done it before, you know, you like it. So I signed up and I have to tell you the first couple of months was tough because being the only woman and uh, you know, you being a woman in that setting, they're not going to treat you like a woman in that setting. It's like, you're a martial artist and that's it. You're going to get hit just like everyone else. And it was in Brooklyn. So it was a tough, you know, it was, it was different times. Just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having my brown belt and uh, standing in the middle of the, the training area and saying to myself, if this could be my life, I would be so happy. I was just so in love with the lifestyle. It's that one thing that you're on the mat and you're by yourself and you're just, your challenges are your challenges. And it's not just the kicking and punching. I think that people get a little bit mixed up about it. It's, it's what it does for you as a human being. And, um, you know, provided you have those positive leaders in your life uh, and you find that right fit, it, it, give, it can give you life. And um, basically I grew up very poor and I, I came from, um, you know, a pretty dysfunctional, you know, background and uh, 11 brothers and sisters. So I had four brothers and my older brother always made me tough. You know, he would put the boxing gloves on, you know, we just box it out. And, uh, you know, he never let me quit. And uh, so I got that toughness from there to never quit. You know, I got married. I told my husband uh, during our pre-cana, you know, you have to write the letter and they say, what do you, how do, where do you see yourself in five years? Where do you self, see yourself in 10 years? And I remember writing, I'm going to have a Taekwondo school and I'm going to uh, begin competing again. And I had all these goals. And I remember my husband say, saying to me later on, 
you know, when you wrote this in the pre cana I looked at it and said, yeah, right. But he said then, but I, he goes, but I didn't realize what the vision you had. You know, I saw a school with 40 students. I didn't see your vision. And I think that's uh, very important and was always very important is to have a vision in front of you. If you don't have a vision in front of you, then we don't know exactly where we're going. We get stuck in that right now. I'd love to talk about that, the, the, the martial arts and goal setting and that goal setting relating to your life outside of the martial arts and the impact on families and communities. Your, your background, some of your accomplishments um, in the martial arts, you're a seventh degree black seventh belt? Seventh degree black belt with the Kukum Kwan and that's my great grandmaster, Suchung Kong, and he was one of the first people to come over. Uh, with Junri and them. So I was with in his school um, and learned under him. And in 2018 in Ireland, you won a medal top prize for traditional forms. Yeah, gold, gold medal for traditional forms. Traditional forms has always been my favorite. I mean, it, I am just one person that I feel, my personal feeling is it always comes back to tradition. Right. I've always felt sticking with tradition, what I loved and is, is, was best for me. It's because I didn't want to detour because I wanted to make sure whatever I was teaching, I was married to it. I wasn't dating it. The traditional forms. I mean, it's the gut of martial arts. I see, you know, a lot of schools do away with the forms and, and it's, it's sad to me because, you know, that's where the tradition is. Anyone uh, the, that knows martial arts. Traditional forms are central to our curriculum. We follow the Grandmaster Jun Ri system, right, right. American Freestyle Taekwondo. And what what do you think or what do you remember about being younger? And what do you teach kids now about those traditional forms like learning Chunji or or something? Right. right. What does that uh, mean? You know, martial arts was never really geared towards kids back when. It was most, you know, you were a young, a teenager, if you were lucky, you got into the class. They didn't have three and four and five and six. And people say, oh, they can't learn martial arts. You know, we don't teach kids because whatever, whatever. It's very hard to teach children, but it's very doable. You know, it, it, it's very difficult to teach the kids, but we also have to realize we're not teaching kids the front kick and the low block, yes, but we're teaching them from the inner inner core of their body. So you're teaching children from a point where, you know, to become the best version of themselves and it being more than just a sales pitch. You know, you could walk in some people's schools and they have, you know, making you the best version of yourself, but are you truly implementing that into your students? I have students that were with me at three and they're in college and they still come back. That's or amazing. they're in college and they're still teaching for me. I have one of my students that started as a, a, a young, a young, young boy, and he's running my school. He's 26 and he's got his degree in college and all that. And um, he's running this, he basically runs the school. What is a, being a black belt school, for example, what, what makes a good school for you? In your for me, the, a good school for me, I mean, I can say that if I, if I walk into your school and I get that warm, fuzzy feeling, that's a good school. It's not like Fight Club. You know, you walk in, it's comfortable. It, you know, people are 
sweating, but it doesn't smell. Uh, there's that old, that old belief, if your school doesn't smell, it's, you're not really practicing. I don't know how true that is. You know, you just have to, you know, clean your mats every night. And especially now we've all learned how important that is. Right. So, um, you know, walking into a school, it's warm and fuzzy, but yet, uh, you know, you can see that the students are sharp. Um, they're, they're, they know where their centers are when they're doing their techniques and, and forms. And uh, the instructor is not overly with the ego. And when you take kit, you know, when you have people signing up at the age of 15, 16, you know, even in their early 20s, they're looking for somewhere to belong. And we know that where even at when I had joined my school at that age, because you're at an age where you're trying to fit somewhere. And if you have the wrong, you know, message being played to you, it could be very dangerous, which, you know, I've fallen upon that as well. Right. There's uh, one of the things that's fascinated me in my very brief time compared to you in the martial arts has been the paradoxes. Um, there's a, a certain type of, I guess I'd call it assertiveness, not aggression, but mm -hmm. an assertiveness when you're sparring, for example, you need to assert yourself. And for Absolutely. a lot of people, that's not natural. That's not an instinct. And then again, if your instinct is to assert yourself or be aggressive, you need to hold back and understand what the nature of this competition is and, and what the nature of your role is as a partner with someone who you're trying to learn um, together. Right. And for kids, it seems incredibly important. It's been a huge benefit that I've seen for kids and families and parents is that kids who are overly aggressive learn respect and discipline. Control. And then, and, you know, and they learn the, the, the particular values that we offer, you know, integrity, courtesy, be kind to one another. You know, uh, you, you know, that's a big one right now for me is kindness because people are just so mean and, you know, they're so quick to judge someone else or they're just so, so quick to, uh, you know, say something inappropriate, push someone or, you know, yeah, you know, I ask myself what's happening in the world and, but then, you know, we can only control the, the world that we have some control over. And um, these are all learned behaviors by ch children are learning them from parents or they're learning them from adults around them and everything we say and do they're taking in. And if we're good, positive people with manners and, you know, practice what we actually preach, the kids will learn from that. And I think when you meet an instructor, all you have to do is look at the, like their five top ranked people in the school. And that will tell you a lot about that person. Um, the way they carry themselves, the way they speak, you know, even their level of education, because we instill those values in our students. You know, it's, a, it's important, like you said earlier, you know, not what, what is it that makes up a good school when you walk in there? You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the way you're accepted. Also, I always do, I always say this, check the bathroom first. Because if I walk into a school and that bathroom is disgustingly, I mean, there are some bathrooms, I won't even open the door. There is no reason for it. It's set, that says so much to me about the person running the school, you know, and what they're passing down. It's interesting you know? that 
you say that because we keep our bathrooms very clean for all kinds of reasons. But one of the interesting thing when I was first becoming a student, I noticed there are a, a troop of these students that are all wearing brown belts, high brown belts. And I knew enough to go, they are high level students. And they were pushing mop buckets onto the mats and going to the bathroom with rags and uh, sanitizer and everything. This is years ago. And it was like a kind of a custodial force coming around all in uniform to clean the entire school. And I thought, what's going on here? And I was, I learned this is prep cycle. These are high brown belts who will be testing for black belt. Their job at the end of a four or five or six hour practice is to clean the whole school. And the school is sparkling clean uh, every night because of these students that range in age from five to 60. And they're all charged. They know their tasks. They know where they're going to be. And they very efficiently clean the schools every night. And when I was going through earning my black belt, I had my role doing that. Yeah. And it really is an incredible system. And you can see how it comes. I'm a parent and come home and go, you know what? Yeah, there's some chores that we're going to do together and let's get this done. You know, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what we do every night. The teens and the adults at the end of the night, you know, everybody knows it takes six people to, to clean the school. So six people, you know, we don't like to select you. So volunteer. And, uh, you know, it's it's understood, you know, we vacuum, we wipe everything down, we mop, you know, we have four people mopping going down the mat. And uh, we do it in 20 minutes. School is always very, very clean, smells good. And, uh, you know, it's part of being it's part of being a black belt in the school. You know, we're teaching you that, you know, this 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 is your 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 school. You know, we take pride in it. It's to take care of it. I can't tell you how many parents come in too saying, you know, I asked my son to vacuum the other day for the first time. And he says, oh, okay, I can do that. You know how to use the vacuum? Yeah, I use it at take hole all the time. And they're like, you vacuum take hole? Oh yeah. And the parents are like, well, why don't you do it at home? And they're like, well, it's a privilege, mom. It's not a privilege <laughs> to do it at home. <laughs> but you know, it's what you teach them, you know? I mean, you know, we're in this together. We're a family. I, you know, we teach, this is, we're a family. We protect each other in school. You know, you see one of your part, your, your, your fellow students being picked on or any bullying. It's your job to be an upstander, you know, for that person or any other person. I know? love that term. Yeah. It, it's so important. You know, we have a, a problem in one of our high schools where I heard, you know, you know, they one time one year they taught took some kids and and taped them to the um the bench you know the dugout with duct tape and then there was another time a kid was you know being bullied and I and I asked myself why is this happening I don't know I mean I feel like if I got in I went into that school I could fix the problem it's it's the way you speak to them the way you reach out to them and then you know and fixing it. And it sounds like you are fixing it. I mean, it takes a lot yeah. of fixers. It's just not possible to do as, as one person. We're, we have anti-bullying programs and it's just part of the curriculum. This is our 20th year. And like they say, it takes 20 years to be an overnight success. It's very true. 
unless there's COVID. <laughs> but, you know, it's so true, you know, and, you know, everything's flourished and, and everything is, is, is coming together. And now the community knows that, you know, there's enough kids and now parents, you know, the kids, a couple of kids had kids and now they're sending their children and they know the message and they know what Take Whole expects from the community, not just Take Whole. It, that expectations, that that's kind of hard to define, but I know what you mean. And we have that expectation too. Part of it, it they're very defined projects. For example, a leadership project that right. has something benefit to the local community that anyone earning their black belt, no matter what age you are, there's some, there's an expectation that you'll raise money or provide a, a charitable help, um, take on your own project. And it's incredible what kind of impact that has, whether it's raising money for hurricane relief or helping out packing lunches. Or Absolutely. It just, it really helps build that person from the inside out. And it, you know, I had, a, I had one student and, uh, you know, he, he, he had an older brother that was, you know, not doing the right thing. And they had to take up really couple, some really hard stands with him, which was very difficult, but necessary. And his younger brother watched this and, uh, you know, his mom brought him to us and said, listen, I don't want this for him. You know, you know, they learn from their mistakes and they wanted him to be underneath someone where he can just get really good values. And he winded up graduating from Harvard and uh, now changed his whole life. He came in one day and said, thank you, because of you, I, my, my journey is to be, you know, to, is to save the world. And I got that from Take Hold for, for the One better. of the things that our master instructor, Greg Macy said to all the staff, the reason that I started this school and the reason that I want to teach martial arts is to enable you to do anything you want to do. Absolutely. It's incredible. It's another one of those paradoxes because you're so focused on, on learning. You're so focused physically and, and so focused mentally on knowing all of your, your forms and curriculum and studying, but that focus broadens and allows you to accomplish so much more. You know, it really does. I, I have, I'm such living proof. When I graduated high school, I was the least likely to succeed. And it's sad that pe people put that label on others because it really can destroy a person. It very rarely makes someone, you know, give them juice to fuel themselves. And I remember getting that message and it was strictly because you know, I was from a poor family, a very large family. And, um, you know, with poverty comes other things. When you grow up in poverty, there's a lot of dysfunction that comes with that. It's sad, but society puts a, a, a tag on the children from that walk of life. Luckily, you know, I had a fire in me, which I, I say in the article and on the, um, the video I just released that made me want to succeed even more because I had to show everyone, this is not true. This is not true. You can't put me in a box and, and state that's all where the only place I'm going is within that four 
four walls of that box. And I've broken barriers and I've done things that, you know, people said that I would never do, especially a woman uh, owning a martial arts school. I was told women will never, women don't own martial arts schools. We only work in the back, clean the school and sign up students. I mean, I actually was told that. And I remember hearing that and saying to myself, you know what, I'm going to learn this business and I'm going to take out the negative and make it my own. And, uh, and I did that. And, you know, there's so many other challenges in the world, which is where the female fighters matter Two movement came in. When you get a call from a young girl or from a girl, a young girl's parent, or even a college student that says, you know, Maggie, this is a problem and we know you can help us. I don't know how you don't help. You know what I mean? That people will look up to look up to you to to be that leader. That to me, that's a privilege. The so speaking about women in the martial arts and young women and young girls in the martial arts, have the times changed a lot? I will say, uh, I will say yes, uh, they have. You know, there are, you know, there are girls, girls today and college girls that call me and I'm, you know, and I sit and I say to myself, they would have never survived the 80s. Never. I mean, the 80s with tournaments, the women, we were non-existent, even though we were existing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as far as our rings, you know, put on last. Oh, yeah, that's right. We have to make sure that we do the women. And early on, there weren't even women divisions. It was the, the girls, if there was one or two, you just get shoved in with the guys. Or, you know, as far as our rings, they were the smallest. They were always like back by the bathroom or the concession stand. Definitely no thought put into it. Um, you know, as far as when we went, we went when we went. You know, I remember, <laughs> you know, sometimes not going to one in the morning and the finals are running. And this is in Queens College. Wow. And, you know, this is a true story. And that's when everybody registered in person or what have you. But the bottom line is I've ran a tournament for five years and I, I ran that solely to make history, to you know, try to make a message with women also because I liked it, but um, because I can't possibly preach something or say something if I don't know about it. So now I could say I ran a tournament for five years and I will tell you, it's a lot of work to run an event but if you care enough, that does not happen. So, you know, that's where I think people need to stop. Dads have to stop and think, where do you want to see your daughter in 10, 20, 30 years? You know, I mean. Right. I think that that's a huge motivation for a lot of our students that come in, um, parents that bring their young children in and their young daughters in is, they trust that this is a program that will help my daughter as much as any of the boys here and put them on a track to become a leader, to learn those skills, to gain confidence, to become stronger. There is no division there. So when we have tournaments, we have one coming up and there are always women's divisions. They're always given the equal time and in, in floor space and but in training in the, in the schools, it's there, there isn't that division. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you're sparring artists, against right? We're not male, female, we're all martial right. artists. Right. And that's, 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 that's the key. Right. And this has been a tough fight. 
And um, it's this is nothing new. Uh, this has been going on for many, many years. I mean, way back um, when women started, to, you know, had the right to vote, so on and so forth. And it's moving forward. But, you know, uh, you know, the important thing is that women, we, we collaborate and we come together as a group and we bring it forward together. I love what you say about the expectation because the, the expectation is also equal for men and women and children. So when yeah. on my final black belt test, there are three three day tests that are spaced out over 18 months after your training for three years to high brown belt. And for my final black belt test on the first night, it was a Friday night at the school and we're all packed in. And I'll never forget, Miss Fisher, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to call you out here because I'll never forget this. After a huge amount of exercises and warmups, we were pretty exhausted after just 25 minutes. And then it was down 100 pushups. And, you know, that's one pushup is harder for some per people than it is for other people. Right. And, but we're working through these, these pushups and really, really, struggling, pushing, pushing. And I'll never forget the school got really quiet as uh, quieter as different people. The grunting kind of stopped as people were finishing. <laughs> You're still holding the position, right? Like a plank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm looking over and I'm hearing these grunts and it's Miss Fisher in the middle of the floor, head forward, hair down, sweating, working out 90, 91, 90, 100. <laughs> and it almost chokes me up to think about it just now, but you know, it's like, yes, you're part That's of a woman after my own heart. Yeah. 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 It, it's incredible. One thing that I love about what our master Macy says about black belt is black belt isn't Bruce Lee for everyone. There are different levels. It's about the improvement. I think Bruce Lee would agree with that. It, how are you improving yourself? And how much improvement are you making? How hard are you working to do that? And that's what's so impressive about people who go through this program. You know, they say them. You know, our our minds are are so untapped. It's so unused. Our brains. And um, you know, I think that people don't realize that what we tell ourselves becomes our reality. Can and will become our reality very quickly. I can't do 100 because I'm a girl and I'm weaker. Yeah, well, if if you keep playing that message, that's exactly where you're going to be at. Opposed to, you know, I, you know, I'm going to just build up the muscle, build it up, build it up, and I'm going to do it. The underdog has to work 10 times, 15 times harder. Those underdog stories are always the most interesting because there are so many ideas that I think people can have. Like, I'm not going to do martial arts because I'm not, I'm so slow or I'm so short, or I'm not flexible, or different reasons, and or I have to get in shape before I start my martial arts training. Oh yeah, that's a that's that's a, that's a, that's a big one for people. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, um, uh, one of my coaches, uh, Johnny Tension, says, you know, he always says, he says, you know, I have students that that say I'm, I'm gonna lose 20, 30 pounds, and then I'm gonna come to class. <laughs> well, what do you mean you're gonna lose weight to come to class? You're gonna get in shape to come to class to get in shape for class. No, you're going to come to class, you know, you're going to work it up little by little and you're going to get there. You know, that's what, that's what we're here for. <laughs> you go with your own progress, right? I mean, that's what's so great about martial arts. 
Right. Because that's what makes martial arts so great. As a competitor, and for everybody listening, Master Messina has competed professionally in tournaments around the world. And what kind of mindset or what's something that you could tell somebody who's going, I'm going to compete in my first tournament. I'm not sure how to deal with the idea of competition. Okay. So competition, when you, you know, people are like, well, I'm too nervous. I get really nervous and for everyone gets nervous. That's just because you care. So when you walk into that ring and get nervous, there's no reason to walk away and not do it. You know, I know athletes that are some of the greatest athletes, especially in martial arts, and they throw up before they get on stage. So you don't see that, but yes, it happens. You know, so that's part of it. That's because you care. Um, you know, going to a competition, we all have to start somewhere. So let that be your first. Never look at the fight like it's the fight in the end that I won. You do, you go, um, I had a coach to, that gave me this advice. Earn one point at a time. Just knock it out one point at a time. Don't look at it as the end of two minutes. Because if you fight a fight like two minutes is, in, is with you, then you're, it's just going to be a tougher fight and a less, less chance to win. You have to go in there just one at a time, one at a time. Keep your eyes open. Remember, your coach taught you everything or your, your instructor taught you everything you need to know. And I always say, I only learn when I lose. I don't learn when I win. I learn when I lose. And that is a very hard, hard thing to digest and own as a competitor. None of us like to lose. But once you develop that and you're able to do that, you will start winning a lot more. You know, it's the hardest thing we do, but once we get there and we accept our losses as, as um, lessons, then things get better. Now, I will say this for forms, for me, for forms, youngs, katas, you know, they're called different things in different languages. I take all of my childhood trauma and anything that's going on in my life negatively. And when I do kata, those are the barriers I'm breaking down. If you want to be a champion and you want to be good, that's that has to be your mindset. You can't go in there like you're thinking, um, you know, I'm going on vacation to whatever tomorrow. I can't wait to pick up my bags. That's not you're not going to win in kata with that in your mind. You have to find what fuels you. You can, and that's what's so great about martial arts too. And you'll see a lot of people who get into martial arts come from some dark places. You know, we're brought up in some rough areas and, you know, they, they, they're, they have the ability to take that and use that as fuel. Um, That's another paradox, right? So anybody listening might be going, well, wait, isn't it about self-defense? And um, our first uh, student creed is I will only fight to protect my life or the lives of others. I will only fight to protect my life or the lives of others. And that's something students say every single time they're in class. And you say it thousands of times by the time you're in your black belt. The other side of that coin is if I do need to fight, I will make sure that I have the power to protect myself Absolutely. and the lives of others. Absolutely. And, you know, 
There we go back with forms in Kata and Jung. Why are people not teaching it? You know, it's the guts of the martial art. You know, I mean, Wing Chun, all these styles, they have kata form. I mean, it's a series of movements, uh, fighting off multiple opponents and are building up our reaction force. If we do not have that reaction built in as second nature without thinking, then how are we really truly going to protect ourselves? Because we all know as, as instructors that the moment I have to sit and think about, okay, this guy's coming after me. Okay. I better, you know, do chamber my punch and throw a punch or whatever it is. Right. The moment you're thinking about that, you're going to get knocked out, you know, and that's the truth of it. it um, concept so of bunkai with the, the forms, which is something that we get into really later in the curriculum, but, there were all kinds of questions I had as I was learning Wanyo or right. just about every form. What is this move all about? And at first it's, and at first means for years, you're, you're learning these moves. You're learning to do them with intensity correctly, the right form, but it isn't until later where you start to conceive of this could be used in so many applications in understanding the, the use, the practical importance of each of the moves and how they're sequenced and it's incredible. And I'll tell you, it's something to watch. You watch some of these, you know, that I know they're gonna have the Olympics in Japan and I know a couple of the competitors and on the US team. And I'll tell you, you know, this, this one Ariel Torres, I've watched him from just the kid now and it's, he's become a beast. It's, uh, you know, and, and his specialty is Kata and I'll tell you, there's no, 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 not convincing me that he can really hurt somebody. And that's where the beauty is, you know, not just how fast you are and how you can, you know, there's this trick where you wet your uniform and you go pop, pop. No, it's what does the pop do? <laughs> right, you know? right, right. Yeah, that intensity is something in tournament prep. That's the mantra is intensity, intensity, intensity. Intensity and, and intention. Absolutely. Right, right. Yeah. The other side of that, I've heard of professionals performing kata as um, meditation in motion. Yeah, it's like you're not in the room. Right. You know, bow in. Once you bow in, you're not in that room. Nothing exists. It's it's like you go into this whole new zone of your own, and then you come out. <laughs> And you bow out. And then when you're off stage and you're breathing, then you're back in the room. <laughs> you know, when you hear those cheers and even just in a high school at an intramural tournament in a high school gymnasium, it is loud. And so for a child, especially to project their voice and announce who they are, who their school is, who their master instructor is, what form they will be performing. That's a lot, just that by itself. Yeah. And I was talking to one of our instructors who's 20, his name's Mr. Thompson, and I'm asking him about what he remembers about early competition. And he said, I'll tell you exactly. I cried. I, I just, I would walk up, I would start my presentation and I would just burst into tears. And what martial arts taught him, he said the, the huge value of it for me at five, six, seven, eight years old was that that doesn't mean I'm off the hook. I'm not taken away and I'm no problem. Get an ice cream cone. It was okay. You're crying and I need you to stop crying and perform your form or at least perform your form while you're crying. And he said he did that. 
And it's incredible how much, you know, he's a third degree black belt instructor, college student, drummer, you know, how much you can accomplish after you've been through what you said, it's a kind of failure, right? You, I, I've learned from it, I'm learning from it. And martial arts is incredible for that. The, the most important thing is, is just to make sure that you connect with the right school and the right instructor. It's a huge responsibility. And I, I wanna thank you so much for sharing some stories from your past and your thoughts on the martial arts and instruction and, and what it can do and the huge responsibility that instructors have. It, it's something I wouldn't, I would not change my life for in, its, in a second. You know, it's, it's what we do and uh, with the hopes of just making everybody, you know, it, that enters our school, the better version of themselves, you know. Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find episodes and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.